All right, guys, so a few weeks ago, we were trying to decide what would our superhero names be? How would we fit into the Avengers? And of course, we created the saga of Hard Hat and the Measuring Men. Um, but the thing that is integral, I think, to the Avengers as a whole is you have to have someone that sucks. I firmly believe this. And obviously, in the Avengers at Hawkeye, nobody cares about Jeremy Renner in real life. Nobody cares about him in this film in terms of acting or character-wise. Um, so we need that on our team. So, of course, Austin, give everybody just a quick rundown on Hard Hat, and we'll do the Measuring Men. Just, just to give people context, so whenever we introduce something that sucks, they actually understand. Yeah, of course. I am the legendary character Hard Hat. Um, I follow Thor wherever he goes, and I carry a toolkit. The only thing the toolkit contains is various types of nails. And when Thor decides that he needs to build something with that hammer, I toss out whatever type of nail he's needing. I guess you could say I'm the Captain America of this universe. I founded our little team. And then we do have the Measuring Men, which is you two. Yeah, Matthew and I are the Measuring Men. So what do we do? We measure. I bring a tape measure. You know, the kind you can find at Home Depot and Lowe's. And I just help. Thor measured the distance that he needs to throw his shit. That's true. You also can kind of use it as a whip, a la Indiana Jones, or maybe a grappling hook. Whereas I am more along the lines of, I like something a bit more sturdy, so I use a ruler. So I also can occasionally help with the whole measuring aspect, but I also can use it as a javelin, as a pole vault. So it's just, we're bringing so much to the table. So now that we've covered that, it's time, guys. Who is the Hawkeye to our little group? I think it's important to remember whenever we're considering new initiates to the group is we cannot forget our construction site roots. Any, anybody that joins this team needs to have a background in construction. And unfortunately, the only thing I can think of, and for being a lame character, it's actually a pretty cool name, it would be Jackhammer. Oh. Jackhammer. So what? I like that. So they literally just Jackhammer? No, his first name is Jack and his last name is Hammer. Oh, but he can't do anything? Can't do anything. I think that one thing he should be able to do is walk out into the middle of a street whenever you pull up in your car and hold up that orange sign telling you to stop, and then they stand there for 10 minutes. <laughs> I like I that. I think Jackhammer is the perfect fit to this team as our Hawkeye. I think I know the actor that could play him. Oh. Oh, wow. Why are we getting the movie made? You may know him as Sam Houston from the Alamo, Mr. Oh. Dennis Quaid. Wow. So he's way older than the rest of us all. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. Well, and of course, I have the main villain. Keeping in our construction site roots, the villain's name will be Catcaller. <laughs> oh, that's really unfortunate, but also pretty accurate. Yeah, so our main villain is just yelling and harassing women as they walk by, and I guess occasionally men, depending on their interest. But um, we're putting a stop to it. That's for sure. That's for sure. All right, everybody. Well, be on the lookout for the adventures of Jack Hammer, Dennis Quaid, Hard Hat, and the Measuring Men <laughs> coming to you soon. On Disney Plus. It sounds like a porno flick. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three people just looking to bring the hammer with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I see better from long range. And I'm Keith Baker, and I was briefed on the plane ride over and memorized everybody's faces and all their background stories. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm going to be introduced in this film, but for some reason be brainwashed the whole time. On today's show, we'll be finishing our bi-weekly retrospective and review series on the MCU Phase 1 with 2012's The Avengers. 
But first, Matt, we recently dropped our newest episode of Co-op Couch. What the hell is that? And did you enjoy talking about Outriders? Yeah, Co-op Couch has been awesome night. And this week, Keith's place to come and just talk about anything to do with video games. So typically, we just uh, talk about kind of the news of that month, since it is a monthly show. And whenever we have new releases, like we did with Outriders, it gives us a forum just to kind of run down our thoughts on everything we've been enjoying or not enjoying about the game. So if you're curious about kind of the recent gaming news, if you've been hearing about Outriders and maybe want to give it a shot, check out our thoughts and think about it for yourself. And of course, we did just wrap up our latest bonus series covering The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Keith, we're taking a break from the bonus series for a few weeks. When will we be back to that format? Yeah, so in a few weeks, we will be returning to the miniseries of Loki. And those will come out every Sunday as well, just like the last ones. And with that, our MCU Phase 1 journey is coming to a close. We met Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, Cap, Black Widow, Nick Fury, and Hawkeye for six seconds, and that has led us to the Avengers. While revisiting these movies, there were some we liked more, some we liked less, and just a downright stinker in The Incredible Hulk. No. (laughs) (laughs) But how does that translate to the Avengers? This movie has always received critical and fan acclaim, along with being the first MCU movie to make over a billion dollars. How does our first Avengers stack up within the MCU Phase 1 and the future of the MCU as a whole? Well, that is our thesis topic today, Matthew and Keith, give me your history with this film and your initial thoughts on The Avengers. Yeah. First of all, Incredible Hulk, not great, but pretty good movie. Uh, So I would uh, take umbrage with that. Um, (laughs) When it comes to The Avengers, though, I talked about it on our Thor episode and our Captain America episode, which is I didn't see either of those two films in theaters. And whenever The Avengers was kind of gearing up to coming out, I was just about to graduate high school and I went over to a friend's house and they were like, God, The Avengers is going to be so exciting. We should buy our tickets. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go see it. And then they were we were basically just talking about our thoughts on all the movies. And I was like, I actually haven't seen Thor or Cap. And they're like, what? So we did a double feature, watched those, got me super amped for The Avengers, went to go see it opening night at midnight. And it was just one of those kind of really memorable movie experiences. It was such a blast. It was so cool seeing all these huge and legendary and big characters on screen for the first time together in this kind of team-up fashion. Um, and it was just just a whole lot of fun and really lived up to the hype. And uh, yeah, I've seen it a few times since then. I do sometimes find myself kind of fast-forwarding to get to that final battle. It's kind of my favorite part. But overall, I think it is still a pretty solid movie and how it kind of stacks up to the MCU Phase 1 I guess that's maybe more of an interesting discussion, but I do know and can say at the very least it is a good cap off. So I know that much. Yeah, it was the first time I guess I really saw a superhero movie where like all these different superheroes were teamed up together. Because most of the time I think it was all individual superhero movies like with Iron Man, Captain America, and then the previous Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. So this is like the first time I'd really seen anything where all these characters were teamed up. So that was really cool for me. And uh I enjoyed all the action. The CGI looked great for me at the time. I think it still holds up uh, today. My initial thoughts on this rewatch, it had been a while since I'd seen it. Um, I liked it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. Uh, There's definitely some stuff that was some drawbacks for me that we'll get into later, but nothing so big that it really takes away from the overall experience. It was just a fun, fun movie, and it was fun seeing all these characters come together. Yeah, I think for me, um, I don't don't think I saw this movie opening day. I think... I think every theater was like sold out and I just couldn't get tickets. So I actually had, this is kind of my first experience where I was nervous for a movie being overhyped. 
I don't think I got to see it until its second week of release. And I just, all the hype was building. There was all this news and I was so nervous. I wasn't going to enjoy it as much as everything I was hearing about. And then I went into it and was completely blown away. It was so much fun. The action was top notch. It was crazy. Like you guys have said to see all these characters together in one movie, especially coming off of all of their solo movies. Um, and for the most part on this rewatch, I still feel the same way. I think it definitely holds up incredibly well. There was certainly some cheesier dialogue and, and writing moments that I noticed more on this rewatch, but overall, I think it's still just a stellar uh, first Avengers movie. All right, guys, now that our initial thoughts are out of the way, it's time. Let's get into it. All right, Matt, we have all of our Avengers in one movie today. Why don't you break down that cast and crew? Yeah, so of course, this one was written and directed by Joss Whedon, who I think a lot of people know at this point, but just in case you forgot, known for writing Toy Story, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Firefly, Serenity, The Cabin in the Woods, The Theatrical Cut of Justice League, and later, of course, Avengers Age of Ultron. The story was also contributed by Zach Penn, who, in the terms of MCU, also contributed to The Incredible Hulk. The movie score was composed by Alan Silvestri, who along the same lines we talked about last time because he was the lead composer for Captain America, the first Avenger. And Shut up. And of course, and of course, this was based on the Avengers team created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. I couldn't really attribute it to certain characters because the team we see in this movie is, of course, a completely different lineup than you see all the time in comics. So. Don't worry about that. The cast itself is, of course, consisted of Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, Iron Man, Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, Captain America, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner, the Hulk, replacing Edward Norton, Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton, Hawkeye, Tom Hiddleston returns as our main villain, Loki, Clark Gregg as Agent Phil Coulson, Kobe Smulders as Agent Maria Hill, Stellan Skarsgård as Eric Selvig, and Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. So with that, guys, when it comes to our cast, when it comes to the crew itself, any highlights, positive or negative? I'll take the obvious one. Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. He's been absent now for two of our prior MCU Phase 1 films in Thor and Captain America. And I didn't realize it, but I missed him. I missed him quite a bit. It was great to have him back. He's such a good member and, and plays off of the rest of this cast so well. And I just enjoyed every scene we got from him in this movie. I'll second that with RDJ for sure. Uh, I guess just to add a couple more. I'll say I'll say Kobe Smulders as Agent Hill. I know she's not a big character in this, but I did enjoy her performance, and we'll get more into her uh, later into the discussion. Um, and and I, I would say another one would be Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner, and I think this is probably like the most controversial one because he replaced Ed Norton. It's not controversial. He's better than Edward Norton. <laughs> no way, dude. No way. Uh, but yeah, those are just two for me. Yeah, I say it every week, but I I don't think there's anybody doing a bad job in this movie. So all the highlights are pretty positive. I'll keep it brief, though. Um, I've always been more of a Cap guy than Iron Man. Of course, I love Robert Downey Jr. This was interesting. It was only on this rewatch, but there were a few lines where in this one I was like, that wasn't funny. Like there, there was a couple lines where I was like, that seems like he was maybe improvising and just they left in the take or something. But Chris Evans always kills it as Cap. Loved him. Um, and then, yeah, my, my other big one, I would say Tom Hiddleston, while I did love him in Thor, I do really appreciate the transition here to kind of main villain who's desperate. He still has that kind of um, 
good nature in him and you can tell that he's kind of going through the motions but he's still really grand and charismatic and fun to watch and i think that's in large part due to tom hiddleston so those are my main ones for sure so just to be clear before we move on nobody's going to call out hawkeye jeremy renner maybe we'll talk about it more but i've always said that it was just such a baffling choice to me the only bit of writing that i think is aggressively maybe not bad but weird is that we saw him for literally maybe 10 seconds in thor and this is supposed to be his big intro. And you can kind of tell because in the opening scene, it's like, oh, wow, OK, wow. So Hawkeye's here right off the bat. And then he's brainwashed until the last 30 minutes of like a two and a half hour movie. It, it's so weird to me. And then he's just back on the team because Black Widow's friends with him. So pretty strange. I never understood that choice. Yeah, you are right on this on this watch, Matt. I really did notice like I guess I kind of had always been in the camp that I never understood like the disdain for Jeremy Bender and Hawkeye. But on this watch, I really did notice how like shoehorned in there he is and just how unnecessary this character feels other than just like having the name from the comic book attached to him. Yeah, I think he gets better. But I think it was just the reason that kind of not hate, but just like eh, not a fan of Hawkeye is because of this movie. I just think they service the character not the best when you make him kind of a villain the whole movie. Uh, it's, uh, people aren't going to like him for a good reason. And if they were going to do that, that's fine, but maybe they should have established him better in Thor. Maybe give him a big, bigger part in Thor. So. Exactly. So, you, so that you care. And you're like, oh no, yeah. whenever he gets possessed, like maybe we could have cared if he was like along with Thor's ride somehow in the first one. Um, I love Mark Ruffalo. I do. I'm, I'm, I'm playing around. I do really like Edward Norton. I know you guys didn't like Incredible Hulk as much as me, but I just, I really liked his performance in that one. So while I also really like Mark Ruffalo in this movie. It just it's one of those weird things in your head where you're always like kind of picturing what could have been or how it could have played out. Not saying it would have been better, but it, it did make me wonder on this rewatch because I really liked Incredible Hulk whenever we rewatched that earlier. So it was kind of in my head a little bit more than I thought. And I was kind of missing him a little bit, even though Mark Ruffalo did a great job. So that's funny because I had the opposite experience. Now that I have the Incredible Hulk fresh in my mind, every time Mark Ruffalo was on screen, I was just thinking, God, I cannot imagine the Edward Norton Hulk in this movie. I was thinking the same thing, Austin, but I was thinking, well, would they even have given him the same lines, you think, if it would have been Ed Norton? You think they would probably would have written it differently? Well, yeah, because Edward Norton would have written his own part. Yeah. <laughs> um, he does feel so different in this that I don't know how they would have gone about it, but he feels way more nerdy a little bit, which obviously Awkward, he wasn't the original. Geeky. Yeah. Yeah, they really played up on that. Um, it, when you, whenever you say the Hulk though, that's interesting because the Hulk stuff is really cool because this was where they made a really good choice of like, Hey, we had Eric Bana and Edward Norton as the Hulk, but we kind of just did full CG, whatever we wanted for the actual Hulk stuff with this one. We'll have Mark Ruffalo. We'll use his face and we'll actually kind of create, uh, we'll have the transition from Bruce Banner to the Hulk make more sense. So it actually looks like a really hulked out crazy version of Mark Ruffalo when he transforms, which was a really smart choice that I think makes you feel a strange, maybe closeness or just an affinity for this version of the Hulk after transforming. All right. So that's it for our cast and crew. Austin, let's get into the production fun facts and possibly nightmares if there are any. Oh, we've got a nightmare. We've got a nightmare this week and it's a big one. Um, our main piece of drama for this movie centers around none other than Joss Whedon himself and his writing credit. So, Marvel had actually been trying to make the Avengers since 2003. Uh, the studio actually detailed their plans in a meeting with Wall Street investors, stating that their plan was to release several movies for individual characters and then merge them together into a crossover film, so essentially laying out their vision for what we have today. 
Zach Penn, who, as Matt stated, wrote The Incredible Hulk, was hired by Marvel to write The Avengers back in 2007. So he was essentially working on this film for four years. And Penn is actually working across all of our Phase 1 films, ensuring there was overlap between each of their movies. All of that changed, however, when in 2010, Marvel hired Joss Whedon to direct The Avengers. He read Penn's script and reportedly told Kevin Feige they didn't have anything and should pretend this draft never happened. Uh, later, while reflecting on The Avengers in an interview with Thrillist, Whedon would say, quote, I read Penn's script one time, and I've never seen it since. I was like, nope, there's nothing here. There was no character connection. There was a line in the stage directions that said, and then they all walk towards the camera in slow motion because you have to have that. Yeah, well, no, you have to earn that, end quote. Now, Zach Penn, whenever I was looking, the main credit I could find was for Hulk. But yeah, so I guess it's, it's also hard to say what his actual contribution was across all the movies. So yeah, huh. I didn't know that coming in that there was kind of that back and forth. Yeah, and, and they've actually both been very public about it. Uh, Whedon continues to maintain that he started from zero, essentially, didn't use anything Zach Penn wrote. Um, Zach Penn has come out and said, nothing works that way. You always start from somewhere. He started with my script and built out. Um, he has actually tried to be the more graceful of the two, though, saying like, look, Whedon wanted to have, to have full control, and, and that's how it happened. Maybe we, maybe we could have collaborated more, but he was in charge. Um, and then he's also gone on to call Whedon's comments inappropriate. Sounds like the whole Edward Norton, Zach Penn back and forth, which was whenever yeah. Edward Norton claimed to have sole writing credit, basically, for The Incredible Hulk. Well, I was going to say, it's also important to remember that this was the same guy who Edward Norton came in and claimed to rewrite a bunch of his script as well. So seems like this has happened quite a bit uh, to Zach Penn. Oh, yeah. I'm not. Obviously, I'm no Joss Whedon fan of him personally. But yeah, uh, just based on what we've heard in the MCU... I guess maybe I wouldn't be surprised to find out that the script wasn't uh, as good as it ended up being in the final product. And just to close off this point, Whedon also claims that he uh, has fought pretty hard to have uh, have gotten a solo writing credit for the film. He doesn't even want Zach Penn to have a, a story credit, um, but he said he lost that arbitration because Zach Penn was first on the movie. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's something that you can't fight. I mean, you, you, you can see movies that have written by credits and that person wrote like three drafts ago that has like no follow up. So that, that's just something that happens. So that makes sense. I mean, I guess it's part of the process, though, right, is to have all these drafts before you get to the final product. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess they deserve a little bit of credit. And that's that's essentially Zach Penn's argument. Yeah. It's like, look, he didn't have to use what I wrote, but I still put in four years of my life into this movie. Yeah. yeah same thing with Edgar Wright, who has like a writing credit on the first Ant-Man who famously like started working on that in like 2007 and then left the movie in like 2014. Uh, but you still have to credit them because there was a script that they started with. So whether or not it was good or bad, you have to kind of give them credit. So apparently there is a draft of this script uh, written by Whedon that does not have Black Widow in it and instead stars the Wasp uh, because they weren't sure yeah. if Scarlett Johansson was going to be able to be in this movie due to scheduling conflicts. Yeah, that's right. I do remember hearing all about, like, about that. And obviously Whedon... Because Whedon's also a comic book writer, so he would obviously go on to, in Age of Ultron, include Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, so knowing that he maybe was going to go a bit smaller with it kind of makes sense, no pun intended. But Also, at the time, Edgar Wright was still working on Ant-Man, so maybe they were going to try and cast the Wasp in that one and then put them in the Ant-Man movie, so I could see that. So there was also an, another version of the script written uh, where Whedon was unsure if Loki alone was enough to seem like a big enough threat for the Avengers. So he considered adding in Ezekiel Stane, the son of Obadiah from Iron Man 1. 
Ezekiel Stain. <laughs> wow. Could you imagine that? Like some played by Bo Bridges. <laughs> yeah, his brother. Come back. God, that's a I made another idea. upgrade, Tony. That would have been so weird. So would there have been a subplot in the movie where they're just doing the exact same thing, where this guy's trying to get his suits back from Stark. <laughs> that would have been interesting. I bet. Yeah. Well, apparently Kevin Feige took one look at that version and said, "Quote: No way. No Ezekiel. <laughs> Ezekiel Stain." <laughs> Jeez. Keith, what did the critics think of the Avengers way back in 2012? Before I get into the critics, I'll start off with the numbers here, just to give you guys an idea, but I think you guys are well aware of the Avengers. It was a pretty pretty big one. Uh, so worldwide, it took in $1.5 billion, had a budget of $220 million. So this film became the third highest grossing film of all time and the highest grossing Disney distributed film. Uh, yeah, so getting into the critics here, I'll just kind of roll through them real quick and kind of give their quotes, and you guys just stop me whenever. So Rotten Tomatoes reported an approval rating of 91%. Uh, they were quoted saying, Thanks to a script that emphasizes its heroes, humanity, and wealth of superpowered set pieces, the Avengers lives up to its hype and raises the bar for Marvel at the movies. The Hollywood Reporter gave a positive uh, review of the movie. Uh, it was quoted saying, The Save the World story is one of everyone seen time and time again, and the characters have been around for more than half a century and over 500 comic book issues, but Whedon and his cohorts have managed to stir all the personalities and ingredients together so that the resulting dish is irresistibly tasty again. So yeah, as far as praise and critiques of performances, Mark Ruffalo's portrayal of Dr. Bruce Banner, the Hulk, was probably the most well-received by a lot of commentators. Quoted saying, Ruffalo successfully refreshes the Hulk myth, playing Banner as an adorably bashful and nerd genius who, in contrast to the preening hunks on the team, knows better, <laughs> knows better than to draw attention to himself. There was a few other commentators that commented on the uh, character development of the movie, and they were quoted saying, the characters sparkle as brightly as the special effects. Uh, these people may be wearing ridiculous costumes, but they're well fleshed out underneath. I think the only reason there is great character development is because we have all these solo movies leading into this one. I don't think these characters really change or grow a whole lot over this movie, other than realizing they need to fight together for New York. But I think the only reason it feels like we see all this growth is because we know where they've been in their other films. So I, I don't know if that's a fair like um, praise to give this movie specifically. Or maybe it's just a better praise for the MCU phase one as a whole. I agree with that. I really think when it comes down to it, uh, for the most part, obviously, there's some little other ones. But I, I really do think the main characters that grow are Tony and Steve. Tony, when it comes to making the sacrifice play. Steve, when it comes to fully coming into his own in this new, strange setting, but still maintaining who he was and then seeing where that goes. So, yeah, I think our two lead characters are the ones that get the most uh, screen time and development, which... Makes sense. Yeah, I guess I also just kind of think, though, that the, the conflict in between the two main characters is a bit manufactured it's and kind of feels a little good. forced into the movie. Yeah, it's goofy. It's goofy. It is a little bit like, why is Tony itching for a fight for no reason? So, yeah, and Steve is a little bit too hard on him as well. So I agree. A little bit manufactured, but still led to some good scenes. Is it time to do our plot summary? It is. It's time to break it down. If you haven't seen The Avengers in a while, we're here for you. 
The intro to this movie reintroduces us to Nick Fury, Phil Coulson, Eric Selvig, and Hawkeye as they witness Loki return to Earth. He steals the Tesseract at the behest of a mysterious benefactor. Austin, tee us off. Anything that you wanted to add with this whole prologue? I guess the most important thing to know here is uh, Hawkeye is essentially a, a glorified mall cop. Uh, he's hired to babysit Eric Selvig and uh, spends his whole day up in a crow's nest, not helping or doing anything useful. Um, and then Loki shows up and brainwashes both Eric Selvig and Hawkeye and recruits them into his little uh, squad that he's putting together. That's right. That's right. Uh, so with Selvig and Hawkeye under Loki's control, like Austin mentioned, things are looking pretty dire for Earth. In response, Fury activates the Avengers initiative. So, Keith, we kind of saw a bunch of initial character reintroduction segments here with Fury, Coulson and Black Widow starting to kind of round everybody up. So give me some of your highlights. I'll give you 20 seconds. Yeah, so Fury goes and finds uh, Captain America punching the shit out of a bunch of uh, punching bags. Widow, she goes to some foreign country and finds our new uh, cast member, Mark Ruffalo, as Bruce Banner, and recruits him in a kind of fun conversation where he gets really angry and yells. As far as a third recruitment, Agent Coulson goes and finds uh, Tony. Fun scene. I enjoyed that one. It was nice seeing Tony and uh, Pepper together. Like seeing a little bit of Gwyneth Paltrow in this one, so that was fun. So with the gang formed, Loki is actually captured pretty quickly. Unfortunately, Thor arrives on Earth to take Loki back to Asgard, which doesn't sit well with the Avengers. Austin, anything to note with Thor's arrival, the ensuing fight, and Loki's imprisonment? I'll give you 15. Yeah, so Thor shows up, and there is immediately a conflict between himself and Iron Man. Uh, this leads to a kind of a three-way fight between Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America, with Captain America trying to kind of be the referee. Uh, Loki is then kind of taken to the S.H.I.E.L.D. Air Fortress, where he is imprisoned in a chamber that can be dropped out of the ship at any time. Very interesting. I wonder who that was put there for. But things get weird when it turns out S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to weaponize the Tesseract. Hawkeye attacks, which leads to a big fight and Banner transforming into the Hulk for the first time in this movie. Anything you wanted to shout out here, Keith, when it comes to the Avengers coming together here to get the job done and save the helicarrier? 20 seconds. Yeah, I guess they do sort of get the job done, but kind of in a sloppy way. Um, yeah, Thor ends up going into that chamber and falls mm -hmm. out. The Hulk is too angry. He's getting shot at by planes. He falls down all the way to the ground. Uh, and then Iron Man and Captain America are trying to get the engine back going. And what does this all lead to? Well... Loki kills our boy, Agent Coulson, which solidifies the Avengers even further. They travel to New York for the final confrontation with Loki and his Chitauri army. Austin, 10 seconds to shout out your favorite moment of this fight. And Keith, I'll give you 10 seconds to do the same after Austin is done. Yeah, my favorite is uh, Captain America kind of taking charge, uh, directing orders, like kind of setting out a game plan, establishing a perimeter of, of like basically what the kill box is going to be. You can kind of see his World War II training kicking in there. And then when Iron Man beams off of Captain America's shield, always a highlight, always going to look cool. Very true. Very true. Keith, what about you? Yeah, one of my biggest highlights was watching uh, Jimmy Renner shoot arrows into all these aliens. Um, <laughs> Are you being serious? <laughs> no. Okay, good. We are uh, Hawkeye haters, Keith. That's We're changing the podcast name to Hawkeye although, haters. Although, although, best line of the movie, I know you guys don't like it, but still, I love the line where um, Cap is giving him directions and he's like... Uh, Clint, get on that roof. And then Iron Man's like, clench up like a loss. <laughs> and then they fly into the air. I was like, all right. But yeah, second highlight is, I guess, Hulk smashing. I always thought it looked really cool. And it's fun and satisfying to watch him throw around Loki there towards the end of the fight. 
So the Avengers fully come together with Banner and Barton as well. They beat the army and Loki, and then, of course, free everyone of mind control in the process. However, the government has not been on Fury's side with this whole team thing, so they send a missile to finish the job in New York. Stark intercepts and almost dies in the process. Later, Thor returns Loki to Asgard, Stark and Banner commit to working together, and Fury lets the Council know that the Avengers don't need to be watched because they will return when needed. Of course, in a mid-credits scene, we get our first look at Loki's benefactor who is looking for revenge on the God of Mischief and the Avengers for losing him what we will come to find out as two Infinity Stones. It is revealed to be Thanos himself. Oh boy, that chin still looks strong. And with that, my friends, let's get into our roundtable discussion. So I think overall, this is just a solid movie that is a bit hard to rewatch. Um, it's definitely not because it's bad, not even close. I just find this one to be the hardest to separate when going back, when you kind of you consider what comes after it. And ultimately, the most engaging this movie ever really gets for me is the final battle in New York. Yes, the characters coming together, being on screen for the first time, this team upsetting, and developing further is cool in both just regular and action sequences. I guess I just found some of the first and second act a little bit slow in hindsight while building towards this big grand final battle. So what'd you guys think? Yeah, I'm, I'm for the most part in agreement with you there. Uh, the final 30 minutes for the Battle of New York is, is pretty incredible. And, and the fact that they give that much screen time just to the battle itself was, I think, a really smart choice and also just such a cool comic book fan moment to see on screen for the first time. Before that, though, I think the second big fight in this movie, which is the, the three-way Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man fight, actually looks pretty bad and, and it really isn't cool. Uh, I don't think it's aged very well and, and none of them really have any cool moves to do on each other. And then in between then, it's a lot of just like cheesy one-liners and then just like characters arguing with each other for no reason and, and not really trying to work together at all. Yeah. I want to say I do agree with you guys, but maybe I disagree a little bit. And maybe not. Maybe it's not a disagreement. Maybe it's just more of, I don't know. I would maybe just call it a difference because I do agree that yeah, you know, a lot of this. There's some stuff in here that is more boring than the rest of it. You know, like you said, leading up to like the bigger, the bigger fight. But for me, the bigger fight at the end was probably the more memorable. So not seeing, not having seen this movie in a while, I was pretty interested in watching all the little in between stuff, like talking about Shield and I guess all the new character development and all that kind of stuff. So I, I didn't remember it. So I guess that's why I paid attention to it more this time. And then I didn't pay attention to the the big fight as much because I just kind of already knew what was going to happen in that one. And it was predictable at this point for me. Like learn, learning about shield and, and Nick Fury's like motivations is, is one of the better parts of this movie. I really do enjoy all of that setup. It's just kind of a weird choice that like a majority of, of having all of our characters on the same screen together is spent with all of them just around like a conference table arguing with each other. Like it's not a very exciting setting for these characters. Yeah. And I think um, you already mentioned it earlier, but it does feel like at times they had to manufacture ways for them to disagree and get in fights just so that they could come together fully in the finale. Um, because at times it's like, oh, they're kind of totally chummy and getting along. And then something like one like Steve maybe says one line to Tony that Tony doesn't like. And then it's just they hate each other. So <laughs> it, th there are some forced elements in there. 
But overall, I do also agree with Keith. It's like, it's never bad. It's just the first and second acts were a little bit kind of by the book for me. But I still yeah. enjoyed watching these characters meet and kind of uh, have their first conversations and just see where that goes. And it is cool that in a huge, like, big budget action movie like this that they did they did devote time to the actual individual characters. So that is cool. It wasn't all action. But um, I guess regardless of that, I still felt I was most engaged at the end. And that's a good point, Matt, too, because I, I remember that that was the biggest concern with making this type of movie was how do you have these big characters and give all of them equal screen time? And they, they really did find a great way to do it. And for the most part, it is interesting. It's just not as exciting as the final 30 minutes of this movie. I'd agree with that. I'll agree. Yeah. I'll, I think one one thing I'll add to my statement was that, yeah, I think the dialogue probably could have been a little bit more interesting, like you said, Austin, around the conference table and all that. But I guess on this rewatch is what I'm saying is I was more engaged in that just, just because I forgot about what they were talking about. Um, and I, you know, everybody, if you think of the Avengers, anybody who is from our generation, you you think of the big fight at the end because that's like the most iconic part of it. Uh, you really don't think about the build up to it all that much. So I I enjoyed rewatching all that stuff. Well, speaking of the dialogue, Keith, how did you guys feel about the one-liners on this rewatch? Did they kind of jump out at you guys as much as they did at me? Because for me, a, a lot of the one-liners here were pretty bad. Uh, my least favorite line in the movie is the doubleheader by Tony Stark. Whenever he first meets Cap, he's just like, you're pretty spry for an old fella. Is it uh, Pilates? Got a lot to catch up on. Uh, Capsicle. It's like, oh my God, dude. <laughs> that was that was like actual yeah, I remember garbage. that one. <laughs> You're not a hero. You're a lab experiment. <laughs> That's one of my favorite ones. I, I know it's dumb, but I do like that one. It leads to a good line where he's like, everything special about you came out of a bottle, which is like, oh, shit. Um, which is good burn true for sure. Watch the movie. But still, yeah, good burn. That's the point of it. You're just a man in a tech suit. A tech suit. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever Steve called it a tech suit. Uh, <laughs> I think overall, yes, there are a lot of cheesy, dumb lines, but. I think they're always delivered relatively well, and while a lot of them don't work, a lot of them do, even though they shouldn't. Like, the line of Tony telling Loki, we have a Hulk, shouldn't work in that context, but it does, and it's kind of cool. So, for the most part, I'm okay with it, but I definitely like Austin saying that he noticed it, like all these kind of cheesy one-liners, and maybe there was too much. It's like, I can't I can't fault that either. I think the main reason I'm noticing it is just because we are coming off of the Justice League Snyder Cut uh, whole controversy and drama there, and, and the biggest criticism for Joss Whedon's Justice League is, is all the cheesy lines, and so going into this one, it just kind of stood out to me more. Actually, you know what? I, I actually have to change. There is a worse line than Tony doing the Pilates capsicle line, and again, it's not Chris Evans' fault. There is just something about him landing to fight Loki and going, last time I was in Germany, and there was a guy that stood above everyone else. We ended up disagreeing. It's like, okay. Yeah. That was bad. That whole sequence <laughs> is bad. Such a weird, weirdly delivered line. <laughs> okay, so we've kind of touched on some of this with the dialogue talk, but let's just kind of talk about our various character interactions, uh, team-ups and conflicts. Uh, first one, Tony versus Steve. How do you guys feel about this? I know we've kind of said it's a manufactured conflict, but overall, how do you feel about the Tony and Steve conflict in this movie? In this movie, it's just okay, but I think they put it in there to build up to the conflict that's going to come later. So I guess that it was necessary for them to, like, to kind of start it out in this one. I agree. I think as our two characters, they do do an, like, a good enough job proving themselves wrong, if that makes sense. Like whenever Steve tells him like he's 
take away the suit. What are you? And then by the end, we see him willing to sacrifice his entire life to to save New York, even though they've already saved it in a way. Um, and then same whenever Tony tells him that everything special about you came out of a bottle and then watching Steve go through and like lead this huge team and still kind of put himself in danger and come out on top during the final fight. Like it, it's really cool to see them prove each other wrong. So I like that aspect of it. I do have one major nitpick. And I don't know if you guys agree with this. This is something that genuinely I've always found really baffling in the MCU. And I've always just assumed that there must have been deleted scenes in both the Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron. To me, it's genuinely crazy that Tony and Steve never talk about the fact that Steve was friends with his dad. That's crazy. Did that bother you guys in this movie that that is never brought up? Well, it is brought up in Civil War. Once, kind of. It is It is very weird, though, and very jarring that it, that it doesn't come up at all. But yeah. I guess also, though, coming off of Captain America, Steve and Howard really didn't interact a whole lot, and they didn't have that great of a friendship. So maybe they weren't That's as true. close as, as we are led to believe that they might have been. I, I agree. I shouldn't say that they were friends, but regardless. Knew each other. Regardless. Yeah. It's just like... This is such a weird situation where he somehow landed in ice, was frozen for 70 years and is back. And the person on a like on a team of like six, one of them happens to be the son of this guy that created his shield and that he knew. So it always seemed to me that there should have been like at least a couple lines about that. I don't know. That's a nitpick, though. To go into your deleted scenes point, Nick Fury goes to the, the gym where Steve is boxing all that and gets him to come on the plane with him and all that. And Steve gets off the plane, and then Bruce Banner's there walking around the uh, aircraft carrier, and, and Steve's like, Dr. Banner! Like, he knew who he was and, like, knew everything about him. And, I don't know, that that just kind of bothered me. Like, there was all this information that Steve knew that we really didn't get a scene for, like, any where Nick Fear was explaining what exactly who he was going to be working with and all that. I think that would have been weird, though, if we had, like, Nick Fury giving Steve a PowerPoint on all the other Avengers. I agree. It was just kind of, I just feel like it was kind of awkward though. Like Banner's just walking around. He's like Doctor Banner, and then all of a sudden, he just knows who he is. He's been he's been in ice for seventy years. And now he all of a sudden knows everything about this guy. N- another nitpicky thing from on my side there. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of Banner, I mean, what do you guys think of the whole start of the kind of fun little friendship between Tony and Bruce? Kind of being able to relate on some different subjects than the rest of the team. Yes, the start of the science bros. Um, I loved it. The Tony Tony and Bruce's scenes are, are my favorite scenes in the movies. They've always had great chemistry. They know so well how to interact off of each other. And I just, every, everything we get from them is so fun. I, I really like when they both have to work on a project together and they're both kind of like finishing each other's sentences or, or like being impressed with the other one. Like, I, I really love their whole dynamic. Yeah. It was nice to see a character Tony be nice to. Like, it was just kind of refreshing because he is always kind of that little bit of that old douchey edge to him which is cool makes him fun to watch but it was cool to see a different side to him when speaking with bruce yeah good point it's cool to see someone finally meet tony like on a intelligence level when it comes to yeah. the the engineering and scientific stuff and i like that line whenever uh they're all kind of like going around the table and then bruce kind of chimes in and then tony's like finally someone who speaks english around here <laughs> i like that that was funny <laughs> I also like, too, that Tony is uh, like wants to help him with the gamma radiation stuff, too. Like, I, mm-hmm. I kind of like that right right from the bat. He's like, hey, you should come to Stark Labs. Like, I, I think we could help you. Also kind of weird that he then is trying to get him to transform the whole time, too. That was... That was weird. <laughs> I was kind of on Steve's side there. It's like, you guys can be friends and have fun and, like, offer him a job, offer to save his life, but stop, like, 
prodding him. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> so Natasha and Bruce, what do we think about kind of the, the beginnings of their relationship? Obviously, they, they kind of form a deeper connection later on in the MCU. Oh, uh, yeah. Natasha's hot. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. Thanks for that expert commentary there and that, that wonderful analysis that we've come to you for about the character of Natasha Romanoff. Natasha Romanoff. I love her intro in this movie. I like that she's like on a mission and she's being interrogated that whenever she has to come in, she just like breaks the chair and kicks all their asses. That was fun to watch. Um, as for that specific relationship, I thought I think it's fine. I, I kind of like that she's trying to help him and throughout the movie and all that. And then whenever they both fall down during the helicarrier attack, kind of watching her try and like she knows what's going to happen and Bruce is scared it's going to happen and she's trying to get through it. And then that leads to this kind of fun little chase scene through the helicarrier was, uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't remember it being kind of a, an actual set relationship in this movie, but it was pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I enjoyed her performance. And like you said, Matt, that scene where she's in the, in the interrogation was fun and Phil Coulson calling her and he puts him, she puts him on hold and beats up the guys. I think that was a good Good intro for her to really establish her skills and all that. I, mean, I know we've already seen her before in Iron Man too, but um, they, 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 I think that was a good intro for her as this new Natasha Romanoff. I also loved her taking that interrogation and, and kind of using the same tactics later on on Loki and like getting everything yeah. she needs from him too. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. And as far as her uh, relationship with Bruce, yeah, I think she's like one of the few that knows how to really tame the Hulk that's inside of him. Clint and uselessness. How did we feel about uh, kind of his dynamic here in this movie? It was bad. They obviously try and have this dynamic between Natasha and Clint set in stone kind of pre the events of this movie, which is very in line with comics and other shows that I've seen um, these characters interact in. So they were just trying to play up that relationship that they have. It just, um, it. I guess it was fine. I don't know. Like watching her try and walk him through what he's done while brainwashed is a good scene. Again, it's it's not anything wrong with the performances. It's just I still don't really see how making him brainwashed for his introduction was a good choice, at least for how long they left him brainwashed. And then after that, whenever he joins the battle, it's not like they're still reflecting on that or anything. They just completely move on from it. So definitely a, a weak point in this movie when it comes to Hawkeye. And honestly, the better scene of... Uh kind of establishing at least Natasha's background is her her one-on-one with Loki where he kind of goes through her ledger and how it's stained in blood and he, he like he's very aware of her history through his powers um and, and I felt like we kind of already had enough background on Natasha that we didn't need to then do it again with Clint I did like his his uh scenes in the final battle though shooting the arrows was kind of cool all right so speaking of characters Loki returns from the first Thor movie in this one as our main villain so just general thoughts what did you guys think of Tom Hiddleston as Loki as our villain so Tom Hiddleston's great his his performance has always been just stellar and he I think he even continues to get better in this role as we get further into the MCU I had forgotten though how much time he actually spends like with the entirety of the team like it's it's the Avengers and Loki for like three fourths of the movie, like all interacting together and like not really opposing each other. Like they're kind of just all having their own little like one-on-one conversations with him. It's just kind of weird how much he's, how much time he spends actually just like casually talking with a lot of the characters in this film. Yeah. One thing I noticed in this, in this rewatch was like how much Intel he had on on everybody. Uh, Like he knew all their weak points. Like he was trying to get Banner to turn back into the Hulk. One thing I do want to talk about with Loki though, is his relationship with his brother, Thor. Um, it's kind of weird how Thor, even though he's part of this team, he kind of, he kind of did take a step back as far as attacking Loki. 
you know, he could have made this more personal, you know, like, hey, who the hell are you guys to start attacking my brother? I'm going to take care of this myself. He kind of like, he kind of put the reins in other people's hands is what I'm trying to say. And he was just part of the team. I thought that was kind of interesting because he, you know, knowing Thor, he could have definitely been like, fuck you guys. I'm going to handle this myself. That's a good call. He he does kind of step back, but I do I do like the scene though where he's like he's still my brother, and, and of course there's a funny line where he's like he's adopted. Um, but uh, like overall, the Thor and Loki relationship I think just kind of carries over from where it ended off in yep. uh, the the Thor movie is because even at the end of that movie Thor is still trying to save Loki and say no you can stay here in Asgard. So he still has this affection because it is his brother. Uh, Loki just just doesn't share it at this point. Well, I think he does. I just think he's. He doesn't know what to do, so he's just doing something, and it happens to be being a villain towards Earth. Because, I mean, seeing that last scene between Thor and Loki at the end, whenever Thor again tries to get him to come back, Loki does... I I think he's being genuine when he's like, it's too late. I don't think that's him playing a role or anything. I I think he's being honest at that point. But yeah, I really like whenever Thor comes into the movie, and... How does he get here, though? I don't know. Do they ever explain this? Yeah, they do in Thor The Dark World. Not well. They just say that there are other ways in and out of Asgard. I think they even even said that at the end of the first Thor. I think Heimdall tells Thor that there are other ways out of Asgard, basically. But in the context of this, when he just lands, I don't know if they fully explained that. Either way, you know, whatever. I, I guess you just kind of have to move past that one, even though it is goofy. But um, I do like whenever his first lines to Loki are a combination of anger, but also like, I mourn for you because he thought he was dead. So, yeah, I, I really do think the, the role of Thor and Loki, like Austin said, is a really good carryover from uh, their solo movie. And Chris Hemsworth gives a pretty um, like emotional performance when he is first seeing Tom Hiddleston as Loki for the first time again. Like you can totally buy that this is a character who has grieved and uh, kind of come to terms with his brother's death. And I'll just shout out Thor's introduction. I think it's probably one of my favorite introductions of the movie is whenever they're flying on the plane and, and the lightning's going and they're like, are you scared? He's like, I'm not overly fond of what follows. And then Thor, without any words, just shows up, lands in the plane, and just takes Loki out without saying anything. I thought it was so cool. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Well, when it comes to being a villain, though, we got to talk about, despite the fact that he killed a lot of people, a lot of people in New York and the surrounding areas, and also, I know you probably feel the same way, he almost killed Ashley Johnson playing the waitress, who we know from Last of Us Part Two, which didn't sit well with me either. But his main villainous act is killing Agent Coulson, guys. So do we want to talk about that in detail? Yeah, let's talk about it in detail, Matthew. Yeah, I know we can't always have a happy ending all the time to everyone's stories, but on this rewatch, it reminded me, you know, how sad it was to see Agent Coulson go in this one. I mean, I always appreciated his character and like his impact and his job on Shield. I always thought it was so cool. I mean, were you guys disappointed they took him out in this one knowing what happens in the future thinking that he maybe could have played a bigger part i'm gonna have the hot take here and i know i'm in the minority and and i'm probably wrong too but i have just never had this affinity or emotional connection to agent colson every time he's been on screen and i felt this when i like originally saw these movies too but every time he's been on screen and in in mcu phase one it's always seemed like i always feel like he gets too much screen time like no matter what he's doing he just he feels like a pointless character to me and then when nick fury gets introduced every time he's on screen then I'm always just like, why isn't, why aren't we doing this with Nick Fury? So for me, the death didn't play well the first time and, and didn't really have an impact on me. 
uh, this time around either. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far, but I don't fully disagree. I, 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 yeah, I agree with Austin that I don't have an emotional connection to Agent Coulson, but it still was. I was sad to see him go, and I think the main reason is because I think they did a good job writing wise of making his death mean something. And even though he and Tony had the kind of like a not like a super strong relationship, you you do see that it has an effect on Tony and even Steve, who like had just met Coulson, but knowing. Like hearing from other people like Natasha, like, oh, he was such a big fan of you. Like he idolized you. And then to have him die and see what that does to Steve, it is effective. So, yeah, like the fact that he died, I don't really care. But I was sad because watching where the movie goes and having them develop that and then Tony armoring up against Loki. And he's like, oh, he also pissed off one of their guy. His name was Phil following up from the opening scene. It's like, all right. Yeah. Like they made it effective, which was kind of appreciated, I guess. And I do like the scene that it leads to, which is uh, Nick Fury kind of rallying the Avengers and saying, look, this is a man who believed in you guys. Can you prove that he's not the only one? Like, was his was his faith that was being placed in you worth it? Like, are you are, are you going to live up to what he believed in? So I do like what follows. I just for me, Agent Coulson has never worked at all. So I don't know. Keith, why don't you tell me about your love for Agent Coulson? <laughs> I love him. Um yeah, no, I always just thought he was like the perfect background character. Like he had that perfect nerdiness and he never really he never really changed all that much, which is which is what I kinda liked. I kinda like it like a good constant character in the background when it comes to a series like this. And um I just yeah, I just I don't know really how to describe it. I just liked his character and I liked the job that he had. He was just this guy who always just kinda was the assistant, um, I guess you call him assistant or vice president of Shield to Nick Fury. Um, yeah, I just thought it was cool and fun and, and kind of had that nerdy humor and yeah, I, I kind of just wish he could have always been in the background going on with the, uh, the MCU. I am kind of glad though that in, in our future MCU movies, we have kind of gotten away from these non-superhero characters. Cause I just think where we go in the MCU, like the stakes get raised so much, the battles feel so important that like, I, I am glad that we don't have these like kind of pointless human characters just like that only exists to like be like the every man in this situation. Like I, I am glad that our superhero movies get more superhero focused in the future. Well, yeah, I think that, I think that's because a lot of our characters that are heroes in this universe are those everyday people that just happen to get powers. Or if you're an ant man, you just happen to get a suit. You know what I mean? So I think they did a good job of balancing all that. Yeah. But that, that's what I mean though. I, I'm glad we've gotten away from like, now we have to cut to a, to the agents and see what they're up to. Yeah. Like, I'm glad now it's just more, oh, here's here's other superheroes that can that we as the audience can now like, kind of relate to because they don't have powers. Yeah. I mean, speaking of agents, another character I'd like to mention is Kobe Smulders as Agent uh, Marie Hill. I mean, I always thought her character was pretty badass in this and she had that cool kind of dry wit about her. And I think they could have probably maybe done more with her later on in the future. But I mean, this might combat your point, Austin, about not having you know, more superhero characters. But uh, yeah, I kind of wish it, they would have kept her going, her character going a little bit longer. What do you guys think about her? I mean, I love Kobe Smulders, but she just does not have anything to do in this movie, I don't think, other than to be like, all right, people, let's get this plane in the air. We're going down. <laughs> we lost the turbine. Like, that's that's Fall like back. her only role. <laughs> so yeah, that, another character that just, like, if you're going to have these side characters and, and they're not doing anything cool, it's just not going to play well for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of on the fence about it. Like, I, I'm with my point that I think that she had potential, but at the same time, maybe you do need these characters that are just in here for one movie just to kind of fill the space. 
Well, Keith, I, I'm not I'm not trying to spoil it for you. Uh, Maria Hill is is still in the movies. Like she is uh, still in the MCU. Oh, I forget. I for, I always I always think of her just being in this one. So you have something to look forward to. Oh, well, cool. But yeah, yeah, I think she gives a good, gives a good performance. Um, I, I, yeah, I think uh, if you guys go back and actually watch some of the deleted scenes, to Austin's point, there was a lot more going on with Maria Hill in like the full cut. Like, there's kind of this element of her completely disagreeing with what Fury is doing and kind of actively working against him and working with the government whenever she finds out how he's trying to handle all this stuff. So it's like she has more agency in the full version. But then by the end, she kind of gets on board and then she and Fury come back together and it's kind of cool. So, again, it probably wouldn't have worked in, in like this cut of the movie trying to focus on other things. But there were there was some cool things going on with that character that they do kind of play into in future movies. Like, like I, that actually does sound cool. So if we're going to give her screen time and she has something cool to do, I, I would have actually been pretty interested in that. Yeah, yeah. And with yeah. Disney Plus, they do include all the deleted scenes like in each of the movies, like whenever you select it. So for those of you out there that might feel the same way, it might be worth checking those out because I'd never seen them before. And I was like, oh, wow, that's actually kind of interesting. So while we're here, let's also go ahead and talk about Nick Fury. Uh, this is definitely the movie where he has the most screen time. The last time we really saw him was Iron Man 2. And while the performance was great, we all felt like that character was kind of forced in there. What do we think about his role here? Um, seeing him kind of full on as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., kind of operating the ship, the driving force behind assembling the team, and his belief that the Earth is outgunned. Yeah, I mean, he's really good. Uh, he was really good in Iron Man 2. Sam Jackson was really good in this movie. Obviously, we get more of him, um, and it feels less forced, like you said. And yeah, I, I, I really liked how he was kind of spearheading, putting the team together for this threat. But at the same time, when you have characters going like, well, why now? Like, why is this just now an issue when it comes to what S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to do. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And then as the movie goes on, it's like, oh, they're trying to weaponize the Tesseract. What the hell are they doing? And then it's like, okay, his point of, well, we're doing that because last year, somebody, two gods landed on Earth and leveled an entire town. And it's like, oh, that is true. I did watch that movie. Yeah, that's a good point. I was really agreeing with him. And then Thor's like, yeah, I'm trying to protect this place. What are you talking about? And he's like, and he's almost like, I agree with you. You and I are cool, but when you landed here, you proved that there are other threats out there, Loki included. So I'm trying to prepare ourselves. But then it's cool that by the end of the movie, he's not kind of like Austin talks about sometimes. He's not that typical Hayward from WandaVision. He's not that like... Um, Say General Ross. General Ross falls into that category. Say something bad about your precious General Ross. I would say, how about this? I'll compromise. Number three, Hayward. Number two, Ross. Number one, Nick Fury. <laughs> Ross is better than Hayward, but I still agree with you. You're right. Uh, but I do like that by the end of the movie, Fury, like, kind of walks back on that a little bit. Not fully, but he is bought more into the team he's assembled as opposed to trying to create these weapons. So it's cool to see him develop in that way, too. So I was pretty impressed on a rewatch. So, yeah, Nick Fury was great. Yeah, I had forgotten all about this little like subplot and I it worked for me incredibly well. I was totally bought into Nick Fury's argument. I also agreed with what the Avengers were saying. I love how one of Thor's main arguments is he's like, by doing this you're just signaling that the earth is ready for higher warfare. And Nick Fury's mm -hmm. like, that's why we're doing this, because we are not ready for higher warfare. Like I, I like that whole dynamic. Um and yeah. then I also like how Nick Fury is realizing like, hey, they're all coming together against me. I'm okay with that. I just need them to come together. Like, I, I really love everything we get from Nick Fury here. Yeah. I don't know if I have too much to add there. You guys pretty much hit all my points. I'll just say 
it's kind of funny. It's a Sam Jackson, and you can almost compare this to another character of his, and that is Mace Windu. Wow. I did not think you would work in Star Wars to this episode, Keith. Well, I am, because I'm just that much of a Star Wars nerd. But I don't know, for some reason, I got some Mace Windu vibes from Nick Fury in this movie. And the fact that he just, he knows what it, you know, he's willing to do what it takes to get it done. I mean, just like Mace Windu is willing to kill Palpatine in order to save the Jedi, he's willing to go with the big guns, with the Tesseract, in order to save Earth. I also love him running out there with a missile launcher, trying to shoot down that plane when he realizes that the other governments have have taken over. <laughs> Dude, I laughed so hard at that scene. I was like, "Holy shit!" He's got. I forgot he had a bazooka running yeah. out there. It was so funny. Uh, yeah. One last mention here of the Shield, or I guess he's not really Shield. I guess he's working for Shield now. Um, characters is Doctor Eric Selvig from Thor. I completely forgot he was in this movie, to be honest with you guys. Um, but I'm a big Stellan Skarsgård fan. Uh, I think he's a really good actor. Um, I wish they wouldn't have had him brainwashed the entire time, just like we pointed out with uh, Hawkeye, and instead kind of developed his character a bit more. Would you guys agree or disagree or don't care? I think it would have been more interesting to kind of learn more about the Tesseract from him. Like you said, Keith, he is brainwashed the entire time. But but seemingly after the events of Thor, he's been working on this for the entire time that he's known about the Tesseract. So he must know a good bit about it. So it might have been cool to have like one or two scenes of him like kind of explaining how it works. Um, But other than that, like it's cool that he's back, but he is brainwashed the whole time. So we really don't get too much from this character. Yeah, I agree. It's cool that they brought back a familiar face, but... The fact that he's brainwashed even longer than Hawkeye does take a little bit away from it. But that being said, where they go in the future and how they used him in this movie, he's still good. Stalin Skarsgård still turns in a great performance. And at the very least, it does make 100% more sense why Loki would recruit him as opposed to Hawkeye, this guy that is actually useful in his mission and has a lot of knowledge of the Tesseract is very useful. So at the very least, when he gets brainwashed, you do feel a bit more sad about it. But at the same time, you're like, well, I mean, I get why Loki's doing that. It, it makes sense. Like, he's kind of, a, unfortunately, an asset to him. So it, it, it's it's used a lot better. I think he's used better in this movie, despite being brainwashed for so long. You just can't discount, though, the heart that Hawkeye has. I mean, that's what Loki says. You've got heart. I'll take you. I'll take you any day of the week. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Ugh, I hate Hawkeye, I think. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Kyle Chandler, Godzilla. Godzilla, yes. <laughs> he was so good in that one. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I know we've talked about it a lot, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But when it comes to the grand finale that we've been building up to, like we've talked about, it's the Battle of New York. Give me some highlights. We've already done general thoughts. So, I mean, what kind of stood out to you during this big, fun battle? Hulk, for sure. Hulk has some fantastic moments. Of course, him throwing Loki around like a ragdoll will never not be funny. Every time I see that scene, I always expect, like, it's not going to make me laugh this time. It's not going to do it. And it still at least gets a smile out of me. Uh, that, that's one of my favorite scenes in the MCU. Tony carrying the nuke up into space through the portal and then falling back down and Hulk catching him. Always, for some reason, that scene always just intrigued me. I always thought it was badass and Really cool that he saved the day. Fantastic scene and also plays right into uh, Cap saying, you're, you're not a take-a-bullet guy. You wouldn't sacrifice yourself. Uh, yeah, And of course, exactly. Tony is in that moment thinking he is sacrificing himself and, and willing to do that. Super well shot, too, whenever his HUD goes out and it's just completely, you just see his face and a completely um, black surrounding it is, is pretty striking. Um, 
Yeah, I think the Battle of New York is so great. I think the highlights is just all the various team-ups we get. Um, each character is somehow doing really awesome stuff, but whenever they team up with somebody else, it's even cooler. I mean, watching Thor and Hulk take down one of those flying Chitari things, like uh, Hulk just smashes like a big piece of armor into it, and then Thor whacks it with the hammer to bring it down is so badass. There were some really great Steve moments, too. Like, I really liked watching him save that crowd of people in that building, and then he gets unmasked yeah. at the same time, Fantastic shot in the scene. stomach, and flies out the window. Whenever he like throws the shield up as he gets hit just to protect himself slightly, is like, this is really awesome. I also like, too, when he gives orders to those uh, police officers, yeah. and they're like, mm-hmm. why should I take orders from you? He fights them off, and they're like, all right, I need a perimeter on 38th Street. Yeah. Like That's just yeah. another yeah, cool. great scene. It's good. And then watching... um. Like Austin said earlier, like it's really cool seeing Steve, like you said, set up that perimeter and like set the kill box. And then Tony's job is just to corral all the flying monsters into it is really sweet. And then, of course, the Hulk transformation. But it's not like scary for once. Is Yeah, there's just so many highlights here. It's it's really cool. Whenever he tells the cops to set up a perimeter on 39th Street, I just like how it calls out Steve's knowledge of New York City because that's where he's from. He's from Brooklyn. Oh, so, good call. Yeah, Very good call. I mean, he's back at his home. And then also, like, we talk a lot about, like, the human characters that are heroes, technically. And like we said in this movie, Hawkeye does get a little bit left to the side. He has some highlights here, like watching him slow-mo go down the building is still cool. How many slow-mo arrow shots do we need, though? <laughs> Way too, a lot, apparently. But um, I do, I, I will say, I do like the scene of Loki catching the arrow and being like... Love that scene. That was lame. But then it blows up and without him expecting it, and then he, like, gets <laughs> knocked out. It was pretty badass. But, um... I do like how they handle Natasha, at the very least, her action in this, because it's really choreographed super well. But in this final fight, I mean, watching her, like, being willing to go up on one of those, like, little ships, like, oh, Jesus, and then jumping off Steve's shield, like, and knifing the guy in the back just so she can steer it was like, oh, my God. Kind of brutal. She is savage, and I love it. She's hot. (laughs) (laughs) One, One scene I do want to point out is with Tony and Loki up at the Stark Tower. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Gives him the whole speech, like, there's no version of this where you come out on top, and then he throws him off the building, and, and the uh, the Iron Man suit catches him before he uh, falls to his death. I always thought that scene was really that cool. That was cool. Uh, last thing we got to call out, though, before we move on, is uh, our money shot, guys. Our circle oh, shot of the Avengers team up. It's so good. It always looks so cool. I, I love that. The way they the way they do it too, where it makes sense how they're like surrounded on all sides, up and down from the aliens. So of course they're all going to be like circled up, looking around. Like the shot is really cool, but then it also makes sense in the con- in the context of the battle. Yeah, it's awesome. I'll never forget watching the Super Bowl that year in 2012, and I think this was the both. It was the first trailer where they showed Hulk for the first time, like as the transforming into that was like, oh my god, that's awesome. And then I believe that trailer ended with that uh, team-up shot at the end. And it was like, holy shit. It's so badass. And in the movie, somehow, it's even more badass than the trailer. So good. So good. Let's talk about how this movie fits into the order of things with the MCU. I mean, how was it coming into this one right after Captain America? I mean, and as far as what we get next, do you guys still think Age of Ultron is the appropriate sequel? As for Age of Ultron, I guess we'll talk about it when we get to it i mean the easy answer is no but i'm not sure how much i should say right now um as for just the order of things i think they really nailed it i think when with other cinematic universes it it, there is a lot of kind of conflict of how do we actually put these movies out in a way that makes sense but this one took the simple approach and 
it really paid off. You know, you gave us two Iron Man movies. You gave us a Hulk movie. You gave us Thor. You gave us Cap. You introduced us to each of these characters, gave each of them some interesting background characters while also giving them their like kind of first character arcs and then having them all come in at once into this Avengers movie where they each can grow a little bit more, do some cooler action, meet each other, play up on the comedic elements, the dramatic elements, and just actually having a threat that for once feels like you need all of them to take it down is pretty awesome. So in terms of how it fits in, like I already said, I just think it's just the perfect way to end this phase one. Like it's not a perfect movie, but in terms of the fun element, the action element, and what they do do with some of the characters, I think they pretty much nailed it. Yeah, I think the only thing I'll add there is just I was originally leaning towards no with with the order of things because just coming off of Captain America into this because I was like, well, that's a World War II movie, kind of weird to go from that to the Avengers. But then I had forgotten before we went into Captain America that we do end with him waking up in present day. And I think coming right off of that into an Avengers movie is a really cool idea because we do with him waking up in present day, we now kind of do fully have um, our original team like awake and assembled, if you want to say. Um, as for the Age of Ultron comments, I'll just uh, always feel so bad for Joss Whedon that he got so burnt out having to work on comic book movies every day of his life and just had to leave and, and say goodbye to his precious MCU. <laughs> oh, man. Um, that is actually a good point about Captain America. I do think that going from one war movie to another, maybe we didn't realize it at the time, but maybe that was on purpose, having Cap go from one war and wake up and immediately be in another one. So maybe that makes sense. But what do you think, Keith, since you wrote this point? I mean, did you think the order of things worked? Yeah, I think it worked. And I think the reason I wrote this point, though, is because on this rewatch, I kind of completely forgot about the order of the movies as far as Captain America and Thor. I think I always, for some reason, I always think Thor became before Avengers, which I think would have flowed well, too. It would have, I think, yeah. Especially with him kind of landing back and coming after Loki again. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking that. And I, I guess it's more of, yeah, more of a question than an opinion. Like, do you guys, and you kind of already answered it, Matt, but like, do you think that Thor could have been after Captain America and still would have flowed well? I think the main reason it could have flowed well isn't even the Thor and Loki stuff, because I actually like that we went from Thor 1 to Cap to give us a break and then come back in the Avengers to follow up on all the plot lines. Because again, Captain America was what gave us the Tesseract, the main MacGuffin of this movie. So it all functions. But the one element that I would agree that Thor maybe did a bit better of a job is just the post-credit. Because in that post-credit, that's where we get Eric Selvig being recruited by Nick Fury to examine the Tesseract. But it's also where we get the inclination that Loki is still alive and he may somehow have some control over these events. So going from that immediately, like one year later, into an Avengers movie would have totally worked. But I appreciated the change of pace we got with Captain America afterwards that still gave us uh, like the Tesseract and other elements that featured in this one. Weird for you guys that Thor doesn't go see Jane at all there in this movie? I don't think it fit, I guess. The weird thing when it comes to Dark World is they could have just had a line where it's like he saw her before bringing Loki back, um, but they didn't do that. Again, he wasn't a timetable, apparently. Like, he got Loki and immediately they went back, but he probably could have squeezed in a quick visit. I don't know. Well, even in, like, the wrap-up of this movie, they could have just had, like, a shot of them, like, embracing or something. That's all we would have needed. But again, it's like Natalie Portman isn't going to do that. I'm not going to... I'm not going to film a scene where I have no lines and just hug Chris Hemsworth, even though he's super muscular. So This is why I love Don Cheadle, dude, because Don Cheadle would totally this. do it. Don Cheadle no, is wouldn't. always down to make an appearance. <laughs> but he always has a lot of lines and action scenes. 
Not in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. At least had lines that were important. <laughs> Don Cheadle would do it, dude. Don Cheadle's an unsung hero of the MCU. I, I don't disagree, but I, <laughs> I don't think he would have. I don't think he would do a scene where he had no lines and just hugged Robert Downey Jr. That's my hot take. I don't think he would do it. And I wouldn't want him to do it. I wouldn't want him to do it. Okay, so we are going to start closing things out. Um, and of course, before we do, we do need to do our rankings. It's time to finalize our official movie rankings for the MCU Phase 1. We last did this in Iron Man 2, so it's time to look at this in its entirety. Uh, who would like to start us off with their rankings today? Number one, Iron Man. Number two, Captain America. Number three, The Avengers. Number four, Thor. Number five, Iron Man 2. Number six, The Incredible Hulk. Awesome. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Are you in the same boat or are we going to see some differences? I got, I got a few different. Um, number six for me, of course, will not change. That will be The Incredible Hulk. But uh, I'll start at the top. I'll go number one, The Avengers. Number two, Iron Man. Number three, Thor. Number four, Captain America. Number five, Iron Man 2. And number six, The Incredible Hulk. I, I think this might be subject to change, but I'm just going to go with what my heart is telling me right now. And I know you guys won't like it, but I, I have to do it. So number six is Iron Man 2. Number five is Iron Man. Number four is The Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk is not better than Iron Man. That's the only thing I disagree with you on. The only thing good... I rewatched Iron Man again, and I liked it even less. And it's just Downey and the opening of the movie are really the only things that are well done in that movie to me. I think all the side characters, where it goes, the story, how it ends, the action is all pretty bad. I still enjoy it, though, but I just think I liked Incredible Hulk definitely way more than you guys. So I have to put it at four. Number three is Thor. Number two is the Avengers. And number one, I'm going to go Captain America, the first Avenger. Wow. That's a hot take. Yeah. A I didn't realize it's you liked Captain America that much. I did. I thought about it more, and I think I wanted to dislike it on a rewatch, but then after watching The Avengers, it's definitely a really well-made, solid movie, but it's just that first and second act are, are a bit too slow for me, and I, I, I think out of all of these movies, even, I know you guys love Iron Man uh, more than I do at least, but I just think Captain America um, was the most consistent throughout. I know you guys mentioned last time the second act got a little bit slow, and I didn't disagree, but I still thought it was good. So I think that's my main reason. I just thought all three acts were pretty consistently good and engaging. Okay. Well, those are our final awards for the MCU phase one. Uh, it looks like the Incredible Hulk will always be a point of contention on this podcast. <laughs> but before we close out today, we do, of course, need to do the Arnie's podcast awards for the Avengers. If you're new this week, this is a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode. Keith always starts us off. Keith, what is your award today? First award goes to the best food reference, and that goes to the shawarma shop that everybody's eating at in the mid-credits scene. And fun fact, apparently there was a, a boom in shawarma sales after this movie premiered. Nice. Good for them. Shawarma's pretty damn good. Number two was the Secret Gamer Award goes to the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent playing Galica in the background mm. that Tony calls out. Improvised line by RDJ that Josh Whedon just decided to roll with and, and add it in. Okay, my award. Uh, two weeks ago, I called out the Captain America suit and I said, the shoulder pads didn't look that great. 
Uh, my award this week, though, is bring back the shoulder pads, dot, 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 because the Captain America suit looks terrible in this movie. It's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> it looks so stupid. <laughs> I thought you were going to say good. <laughs> it has like, an, it has like a, a chest length zipper on it. <laughs> and they like unveil it like, here it is. Here's our wow. new suit. And, and even, even Chris Evans, you can tell he's thinking, this looks terrible. I'm not putting that on. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm going to give two awards as well. The first one is the bad award, and it goes to Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye. Uh, no need to explain that one. He's just <laughs> bad in it. My second award is, sorry, Josh Brolin, you have to wait. And that goes to Thanos in this movie, because we didn't get to Josh Brolin yet, but he's coming. All right. Well, everybody, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow the show. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. And on that note, please go ahead and reach out and let us know what you thought of this series. Our next retrospective and review series is John Wick, but after that, it's up to you. Let us know if you want us to continue with the MCU Phase 2. That's right. It really is up to you guys. We love doing this Phase 1, but since there are just so many gosh darn movies, it's just going to be kind of your call. So let us know after John Wick, should we do the MCU Phase 2? Some good movies in there, some absolute pieces of shit in there too. <laughs> so I think there'll be some good reviews regardless, but it's up to you, like we said. We also recently did a review of Mortal Kombat, the movie. That was kind of a fun one because I think we were all hoping for something a little bit better. So check that one out. <laughs> also, we are going to be talking about um, Austin's um, idol, Zack Snyder, his new Netflix film. My idol? Have I ever been that big of a Snyder fan on this show? <laughs> No, I, 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 I like him. I like him too. <laughs> My idol. Uh, we are going to be talking about his uh, new Netflix movie, Army of the Dead, real soon. Like we mentioned at the top as well, we talked about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That finale wrapped up a little while ago, so check out our thoughts on that. And Loki is coming soon. He was our main villain in this one, and he has his own show coming to Disney Plus pretty soon. So we'll be giving our thoughts on that as well. Yeah, check us out on Instagram at the Arnie's is our Instagram. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts. On this episode and upcoming episodes, like Matt said, please go back and catch up on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, yeah, and please go back and catch up on our MCU series of Phase 1, and please let us know if you'd like to uh, see us review Phase 2 in the future. And let us know if you agreed with our rankings at all for these uh, few movies on, on the MCU Phase 1. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. See ya. See ya. See ya.